After a weekend to think about it a little bit more, does it make any more sense that the Kings took Keegan Murray over Jaden Ivey or trading that pick so someone else could take Jaden Ivey and the Kings could get a haul? It's more to kind of try to wrap your head around still in a big, big 10 move on draft night, plus all the other fits across the board in the NBA draft aftermath with their teams. And also, the ACC Big Ten Challenge games are out. Some marquee matchups for us to go over. You are locked on Big Ten. Your daily podcast on the Big Ten Conference. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. You're tuned in to Locked On Big Ten, everything you need to know about the conference every single day, at least three times a week here during the off-season months. Alongside Jay Stevens, the host of Locked On Buckeyes, I'm Nate Dickinson. Thanks for making the show your first listen every day. Well, we talked a little bit about it on Friday, of course, but now that we've had the weekend and some time to dive into everything that happened into the NBA draft, there's a whole lot still to talk about, Jay, as there were some surprises starting right at the top of the Big Ten's picks. Surprises in the top three, too, in the hours before the draft as well. But it ends up being Keegan Murray going first to the Sacramento Kings instead of Jaden Ivey. I have a lot of thoughts about it. I'd like to hear yours first. Murray over Ivey. I was shocked because I thought that Ivey would be possibly the fourth or fifth pick. And you say, Jay, there's one spot there. I still think Ivey is the better, had the better season. Um which is saying a lot because Keegan Murray is a really good basketball player. I just thought that what with what Ivy brings to the table immediately, you know that Ivy is going to be a guy that can contribute right now in the NBA. And I thought he was the more highly sought after pick athlete. He was the more highly um, coveted player when it comes to projections for the next level. So I thought that the Kings or the Pistons would be the team to take the first Big Ten player off the board since we didn't really think Ivy would jump into the top three. I had no thought that Murray would be in the top five, would be the number four pick at all. I firmly thought it was going to be Ivy, but you can't go wrong with Keegan Murray. As much as I like Jaden Ivy and I like that he went to Detroit and has how, how they're building there with him and Cade Cunningham, I firmly understand why the Kings went with Keegan Murray and they can build with him there in Sacramento. And so it makes sense from that standpoint. But I, if it was me, if I was a GM, I would have wanted Ivy over. Murray at that point in time I think the concern with the pick or I guess the criticism with the pick by Sacramento is less with the player because let's face it these are both top 10 picks right yeah 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 yeah. if we get to two years from now that's when we really start to see okay who made the right picks who didn't but as far as just the situation of the draft I mean There were reports coming out that after Ivy went at five to the Pistons, there were multiple teams calling Detroit, trying to get him as the player after the pick had already been made. If that's the case there, and if what we had heard about how many teams would have liked to trade up to four to try and get Jaden Ivy there with that Sacramento pick, it seems like just logistically, uh, if you're talking about the overall value that you're getting out of what you have in this asset, if Keegan Murray is your guy, Yes, you get him, and that's always the argument. But the argument could easily be had that he could have been had at one pick later, two picks later, if they want to try and trade back to a little bit later in the round. And 
uh, again, maybe you don't want to take that risk of even two picks behind. But even if they wanted to, like, say, trade to Detroit for that fourth pick, I feel like the narrative was there for if Detroit wanted Jaden Ivey, they could have gotten some really nice assets out of that, the fifth pick plus more picks, if you ask me, if you look forward ahead. I don't know if it's another first round pick or, or what those situations are, but I just feel like when you're talking about what you get out of it, there's a situation where Sacramento gets Keegan Murray, gets their guy, while also cashing in more for what is the fourth pick that I think a lot of people thought was a clear-cut Jaden Ivey pick right there, or at least there were multiple teams in the NBA who were ready to pull the trigger on it if the opportunity had been there. Yeah, it's, it's weird when you think about the trading and moving around to secure a player. The Pistons really, I do believe, wanted Ivy. But how do you get that? How do you, how do you secure that? Are you comfortable moving up? And honestly, it's not are you comfortable. Is another team comfortable allowing you to move up to get said a player? And so there's a lot of weird details that go into decisions like this, why teams don't move, why teams take certain players. There's a lot that goes in there that we may never know. Those conversations that are had days leading up to the draft, hours, minutes before the pick is even made. There's a lot that goes into that. So there's a lot that we won't know. I like both players. Like, I, I know we're splitting hairs. You said it. They're two top 10 picks. They're two top five picks. They're number four and number five in this draft. So we're splitting hairs, but that's what we do. So I, it's just speculating sometimes, but that's, that's our job. Our job is to split hairs and to really try to see did it make sense? Did it not make sense? Why did it make sense? Or why didn't it make sense? And explain our thought process that way. So I, I get it. It's just one of those things where I think the Pistons wanted, wanted him, but maybe they could not move up to four to secure him. So they had to hope that he was, he was there at five in Ivy, and he was. Pistons have to be ecstatic just to talk about that for a minute. I, I think you mentioned the match with him and Cade Cunningham together provides a whole lot of opportunity to a team that, Again, Detroit has one of the more interesting younger teams out there in the league. I mean, I'm trying to think like Cleveland's one of those teams. Orlando mm -hmm. might now be one of those teams. Mm -hmm. OKC obviously still has a ton of picks and can become one of those teams pretty easily. But if you're talking about like the really young teams that might be up and coming, Pistons now have a couple of players who, if Ivy obviously projects out to what he's supposed to be here or what people think he could be, you've got a couple of superstars here. Because I think Cade Cunningham has already proven himself as on the way to being at least some level of a star player in the NBA. But with Sacramento, it just becomes another pattern of picks that, again, even if it ends up being right, it's on draft night seems dumb. And again, that doesn't mean it ends up being Keegan Murray being a bad NBA player. It just means that it shouldn't be so obvious to the people like us that there was more value to be had out of that kind of a pick than just getting Keegan Murray. And just getting Keegan Murray, again, sounds like an insult to Keegan Murray. It's not supposed to be that. It's just that he was gettable elsewhere. There was other people who were willing to get the value and give the value of getting Jaden Ivey afterward, as shown by what the Pistons got in their calls after they picked him. It seems like a steal for Detroit. I don't think anybody was thinking that the top four, at least in the last couple of weeks, would be any different than what that had been Smith Holmgren uh, I'm forgetting the Bancaro of course and then mm -hmm. Ivy it just ended up changing last second and it was a Kings team that made a move that again if you're in the front office you're thinking this is our guy we got him that's all that matters but from the outside looking in 
This is a team that has just consistently made mistakes that just don't make sense, even if the players do. You're there. I mean, you're, 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 you're exactly there. Think about it. Benedict Matherin, I hope I said his name correctly. He is someone that I thought was going to be highly sought after a guy that was going to be picked before Keegan Murray. And he got, he went to number six to the Indiana Pacers at number seven, Shaden Sharp to the Portland Trailblazers. Now I still think Sharp was a player that was probably more highly sought after than Keegan Murray. You make a good point about how Keegan Murray could be available elsewhere. There are players that were looked at as being better pro prospects than Keegan Murray. And you still get him at four. A guy you could have gotten was Jaden Ivey. And I know Nate and I both love the Pistons thing. And I think you may love this, the listener, or if you're watching on YouTube, you'll love Jaden Ivey to the Pistons, which I think everybody, no matter wh- where Jaden Ivey would have went, everybody would have loved for him to be on their team outside of the top three. If he would have gone ahead of Van Caro, Holmgren, or Jabari Smith, that would have been a little shocking. Now, I do think that he has some, he brings some things that those other guys can't, especially with Chad Holmgren. My biggest thing with him is, how is his frame going to hold up against the NBA big men? Like, that's my big thing. With the body frame with Ivy, you don't have that question mark. They both do things at an elite level in college. So projecting, I think anybody would have loved Ivy, just being completely honest with you. The Murray thing's always going to be interesting. Two years, three years, four years down the road, we'll look back and say, well, the Murray thing didn't make sense then. It still doesn't make sense now. It, it could be that conversation, or it didn't make sense then. And all of a sudden now it's like, oh, well, this is what they were doing. This is what they did to overcome their mistake. And it's now they're now making it make sense. So that's something there. But I don't know, man. I guess the Kings. Um, well, Keegan, well, Keegan Murray starts making sense, but the move doesn't ever make sense. That That's no. kind of the point, right? Like it's no. not just a matter of like Keegan Murray becomes a great player. It's the value of what he is now compared to what you had in that number four overall pick. I mean, I mean, to be quite honest, I don't think Keegan Murray goes four there. I don't think Keegan Murray goes five. I don't think he goes six. I think if the Kings traded down to seven, they could have gotten Keegan Murray possibly. Benedict Mathurin was a really good fit in Indiana. I think they may have taken him either way. I think if Ivy was off the board, Shade not Sharp ends up going to Detroit. Yeah. It's a situation where, like, again, then you're starting to kind of risk it if Keegan Murray is your guy by going down that many picks. But there's just – it's, again, the value there. And I guess – Again, it's an argument I hate having to defend, but it's always right that if the guy ends up being really good, it's the right move, right? But I just feel like there are exceptions to that sometimes. And even if Keegan Murray's outstanding here, it's not the most that they could have gotten out of it. While also, I think, still getting Keegan Murray. There's levels of risk to that. Like if they trade down to Detroit at five, I think Detroit is able to find some sort of package if they like Jaden Ivey to get up there and take him. But I don't know exactly obviously everything and until people start talking that kind of talk it's going to be all the conversation we're having now like we're not in the war rooms we're not knowing these things so it's again going to end up just being a product of what ends up happening on the court (laughs) exactly that doesn't leave us much to talk about here so we'll keep still keep doing our little speculation thing while we can if you're a sports gambler there's really only one place to go if you're looking for information and to get those bets out it's bet online our official sportsbook partner here at Locked On. If you hear a line here on the Locked On Podcast Network, it's coming from Bet Online. So if you want to just play along with us as we go over all the latest odds and trends and movements in things in Big Ten lines and futures right now, you can head on over to Bet Online, get signed up with an account, but also get all the information you need. 
for any of the bets out there and the latest news on what's going on in both sports, but in sports betting as well. If you know what you're doing, you know that those are two very different and equally important things. So head on over to Bet Online right now. See exactly what I'm talking about. The setup is quite incredible, to be honest. It looks good, and you're going to enjoy your time going through and learning stuff there, too. So again, head on over to Bet Online, where the game starts. Let's go down to number 10, Johnny Davis. Uh, another pick that I thought was pretty secure to be in the top 10, him falling down all the way to 10. Uh, I don't know if you could say he was explicitly better than any of the names above him, but I didn't think he could have gone a little bit earlier. Yeah, he could. But once again, I think he's kind of in the same boat as Keegan Murray. Like he's a, he can get value, he could be a value type of uh, pick if you get him at the right spot. I think 10's a decent spot for him. Anywhere outside of the lottery, I think would have been a complete, like if you would have got him outside of the lottery, that's a steal for you. Like that's an automatic steal. So I do think the 10 with him is fine. Like I'm not going to split hairs there with that one. It, the Wizards need somebody that can put the ball in the basket. The Wizards need a score. The Wizards need a lot. How about you just bring in a guy that was a, one of the best players in the Big Ten at putting the ball in the basket and just make it work? Now, making it work is going to be hard because it's going to be a lot of contract discussion with guys currently on the roster, a lot of building of the roster, um, making uh, really tough decisions about who you're going to bring back, who you're not going to bring back. So it's a lot of interesting details about the, the Wizards as a whole. However, I think Johnny Davis is one of those guys that you can't really go wrong if you're getting him nine through 14, nine through 13, it kind of makes sense. If you need a guy, if you need a score now, I think Johnny, Johnny Davis can be a score now. And I don't know if he'll be a starter right away, but I do think he'll be a rotation piece and someone that you can really build on and allow your roster and allow your culture to help him be a really good NBA player. Washington still got a lot to figure out, even if Johnny Davis is pretty good. Moving on at number 20, your guy, Malachi Branham goes to the San Antonio Spurs, which instantly makes it a smart pick. We know this by now. But it was a little bit later than we had initially been talking about. We were thinking like end of the lottery, talked about the Cleveland Cavs last year or last week being an option for this guy to be able to stay home. Instead, he again goes out of the lottery, falls to 20, ends up being closer to where he may have been at the start of the season or even the start of this draft process. How do you feel about the fit and also him falling? Him falling might be a blessing in disguise. I'm going to try and be as positive with a lot of these guys as going forward as I did kind of, we did kind of split hairs between four and five earlier in the show. I do think it's a blessing in disguise simply because you're getting, you're going to be coached by a hall of fame coach off the top, off the jump, somebody that puts an emphasis on defense. And that's one of the areas that was a weakness for Branham during his freshman year at Ohio state. And so you get a guy in Popovich. It's going to be hard. He's going to be hard. Those guys be able to treat everybody the same. He's going to be quick to help Branham get acquainted. Well, he's going to, I would say quick. He's going to make sure that Branham uh, understand what, what, to what it takes to be a pro. Now, he might not give him uh, preferential treatment, because I don't think Pop does that for anybody. However, I do think you're going to San Antonio. There's a lot of guards there, and you're going to have to compete to get on the court, which I do think is going to be good for, good for Branham, because he's not going, to be, not going to be able to come in and automatically have a spot, get comfortable, things of that nature. Spurs, Branham, I, I think it works. And Popovich is going to make – no, he's going to push Branham to be better on defense, a lot better on defense, as well as get better at some of his strong points on the offensive end. I don't think it's a huge surprise that there were no more Big Ten picks in the first round. Uh, 
I was a little surprised to see how quickly they started in the second, though. Caleb Houston ends up 32 uh, over to, I am missing out on the team right now, but it's it, pick number 32, we know. It's that early for him. Why? I was thinking that there might be one or two more guys in the first round, and Caleb Houston got drafted yeah. to the Orlando Magic. But I was thinking that at some point you might get more guys in the first round. And now you get a cup. Now you get one right off the bat at 32. You get a guy at 35, 40, and 41. Okay, what wasn't happening in the first round and a lot of part of it, getting a lot more Big Ten guys there. I think Max, excuse me, I was looking at the wrong person. Caleb Houston to uh, the Magic. It's just one of those spots where it's like the Magic need a guy to come in. He's available. He's probably the top guy on their board. Let's bring him, bring him in right now. The Big Ten plays good basketball. Michigan had not as good of a year as they had previously in the previous season, but they still had a decent year last year. And let's bring him in and let's see what he can do. I mean, now these guys at the second round, you have to prove it. I guess one of the things about the second round, you have to make sure you prove you you belong here. And we're going to see what happens over the next few weeks, a few months with these guys in the second round. And if they prove their worth and prove that they deserve to be on the team that drafted them, in the NBA. Well, it's again, Houston at 32. And of course, I think it's important to note, like, do you think it matters at all? The guaranteed contract aspect of it, first round picks get the guaranteed contract, second round picks don't. It doesn't seem like with a guy like Houston, at least that's something that would have made like a huge difference. I mean, I mean, obviously a guaranteed contract works a lot better for the player and puts more risk on the team. But I don't think Houston's a guy where like you're drafting him worried about whether or not he's going to not make the roster at the start of the season. He's an asset that I feel like you'd want to keep for at least a little bit there. But I don't think like, is there any reason you think that a team would have passed on a big 10 player that maybe you think would have gone in the first round for that reason? No, I, I, I never think that honestly, I never think, Oh, we don't want to get this guy a guaranteed contract. Let's give over him right now. Now, granted, it could happen, but I think there's normally so much talent in the draft that if you're making that kind of decision at pick 29, 30, 25, 26, like that'd be really, really rare. I just think that that was not a, not, that wasn't a deciding factor as far as why he fell to the second round. Um, could be, I just don't think it was. Max Christie is the next Big Ten player taken. He goes to the Lakers at 35. Bryce McGowan's at 40. EJ Liddell, 41. Musa Diabate's at 43. Uh, those players drafted aren't any surprise. I want to get to him in a second. Uh, players not drafted. A guy like Kofi Cokeburn for Illinois. Is there anybody else who is like, I guess not a surprise, but it's like, okay, now we know these guys aren't actually NBA or weren't going to be drafted players? Not really. None to come up top, off the top of my head. You mentioned Kofi Coburn, and I understand why he was not drafted. I understand how, why NBA executives view him the way that they do. The NBA is not like it was like it used to be. If this were the '90s or the '80s, really more so the '90s, I say, yeah, put him in there. He'll figure. He'll figure it out. And he'll give you some good minutes and some good buckets and some good boards, good blocks. This isn't that anymore. Um, I don't see a role for him in the NBA right now with the way that five players, the centers are playing and how that role is. I, I just don't. Can he step out and shoot, shoot the 15 to 18 foot jump shot consistently? No. Can he dribble? No. Is he a good defender? Yeah, he's a good rim protector, but 
What about with these darting guys that are going to take him out to 15 to 18 feet that are centers? I just don't see it. And so when I say those things, you're like, oh, well, it all makes sense. I just don't, I, I don't, he's one of those players where it's like good or great in college. The NBA stuff is really tricky. I don't know his role at the next level. It's just a more condensed talent uh, in the Big Ten. You're able to get away with, even in the Big Ten, you're able to get away with just being bigger and stronger than everybody mm-hmm. to an extent. That's kind of just how college basketball works. There's a lot of really great players. There aren't enough to fill every single team that Kobe Coburn's going to play at Illinois. So he's able to dominate at a level. When you go to the next level where all of the players who dominated are, you end up losing out when you can't do the things you said shoot from 15 to 18 feet can't dribble is slow just in general it's that kind of stuff that separates the men from the boys when you get to that highest level and to be quite honest it's every level that you have those kind of leaps up to try to see hey can you do it and that's part of the reason why people miss in this draft so much is because it's really really hard to figure out if anybody can I also didn't see anything that stuck out to me, Jay, in those second round picks is like, oh, that's going to be a great fit. Like there's guys who can get into teams and become really good role players and mold into great fits. But when I'm first thinking of like a Max Christie going to the Lakers, I'm not like, oh, they're going to absolutely love him. They need him on that roster. I don't think there's anybody really in that second round who uh, fits that mold. No, 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 there's not. Actually, Max Christie and the Lakers, the Lakers have a bunch of dysfunction right now. Got to make decisions about Russell Westbrook's contract, his future. Will they bring in Kyrie Irving? What are they going to do with LeBron James? I do believe LeBron, I don't think he's in a contract year, player option year, but I do think maybe next year. So they had to figure out a lot of things with their roster because they know, as the rest of the league knows, when LeBron leaves your team, you're going to fall off. You're probably going to fall off hard. What the Heat have done to lose LeBron and a lot of players, and they still have been to the NBA Finals. They've been to the playoff numerous times. That's very rare because LeBron leaves you. You're normally going to fall off. The Lakers are different because the Lakers are the Lakers. They are, they are that franchise in the NBA. So maybe they don't fall off, but they might fall off a little bit and fall. Like, it may be a little bit more, more dysfunction than normal after LeBron leaves because of what LeBron does while he's with your organization. So they have a whole lot of things going on. Max Christie going there, it's great. I mean, it's a good thing for him going to L.A. and being able to, like, I talk about Brandon being able to learn from Pop. You're being able to learn from LeBron. Like, hello. Like, that's amazing. That's a luxury. Anthony Davis and the other guys that are there. That's a huge luxury that he has. I just don't think that him going there might be the biggest priority because they got to figure a lot of things out with the top of their roster so they could be a team that can compete for NBA championship next year. I mean, yeah, when you think about draft picks recently for the Lakers, there have been successful guys, but Mm -hmm. not really guys who have found that success in L.A. um, Right. With Los Angeles. It just doesn't seem like one a team that's in that kind of mode, right? Like they're not trying to develop draft picks right now. They want to win. So they're going to trade away the assets if need be. But again, there's been, again, talented players picked by the Lakers. Brandon Ingram's there. Lonzo Ball's still productive, obviously, just in most recent picks that I'm trying to remember here. But as far as just developing talent, yeah, L.A. has not been the best place for that as of late. And again, if you're a Big Ten fan, you're thinking about that with whoever your player is who got drafted. But it's something with the Lakers that I think maybe wrongfully so. 
gets a lot of criticism, but I think at the very least partially so is correct, partially just because it's not what they're trying to do right now. Again, it's not really the goal of that team. I don't know if it's ever been the goal of that team, really, <laughs> but that's just kind of how some teams in the NBA operate. Uh, Jay, thank you as always for joining us here to talk on Locked On Big Ten. We're going to have a lot to talk about with NBA draft stuff, and I'm sure some news will come out over the next couple of weeks about contracts and things like that to discuss. So we'll have all sorts of basketball talk on the pro side to get into here over the next couple of weeks. After that, I'm sure we'll get into some sort of list or something on what's going on in the Big Ten. But until then, Jay, thank you as always for coming on to join us here on Locked On Big Ten. Be sure to listen in to Locked On Buckeyes as well once you're done here, and we'll talk to you again soon. Welcome back. As always, thanks to Jay Stevens for joining the program to talk some NBA draft with us for the show today. Before we go, of course, we've got to let you know anything that you may have missed over the weekend in Big Ten basketball news. We'll start with the release of a little bit more of the men's basketball schedule, the ACC Big Ten Challenge. One of personally my favorite regular season events that happens every year in college sports It's been announced the matchups is what I'm trying to get to. It's going to be, of course, as always, really, really good spots. And I think before we get to the list, I just want to touch on that that's kind of a rarity. Uh, it's not easy always to give the fans what they want when it comes to this thing, especially when you're scheduling it. I mean, we have college football games scheduled for 2030 and stuff like that. It's not exactly like that here, and getting this release is fun every time, and the games they give us are fun every time. I think that's something that is not really, I guess, taken for granted, but not thought of enough, is how pretty much every year I feel like these two conferences come together and give us really, really good matchups without letting whatever the politics may be get in the way of that. These are teams that are always high-profile paying against each other. It's never like the nobody's getting a game against the best of the best. It's always pretty evenly split out the way that they organize things, and it does well. Starting with, of course, the biggest matchup out there on the list when you look at it, North Carolina facing off against Indiana in Bloomington. Obviously going to be a huge game. Two blue bloods of college basketball coming together. Maybe the two biggest blue bloods in college basketball for both of these conferences, arguably. Arguably. Of course, Duke's right there too, but as far as dominance in the sport goes and recognizability, it's going to be one of the biggest games of the non-conference schedule. No doubt about it. Same thing with Michigan State at Notre Dame. I love it. Uh, Virginia and Michigan. Love it. Two other really great matchups. Some of the better projected, of course, teams in the Big Ten as well, facing off against some of the better teams in the ACC. Again, it's what you want. Uh, I really like Ohio State facing off against Duke. Of course, Duke could always get a better opponent out there, but there's the history between those two teams. I really like Syracuse facing off against Illinois. Illini getting a bit of a higher profile game because they're projected to be a little bit better now next season. While Syracuse, again, not at that blue blood level, but it's Jim Beheim. It's, well, I guess now with Coach K out, the highest winning coach actively in all of college basketball. So there's that going up against Illinois. All these games I really, really enjoy. And again, it's a really good job by the conference to not fall into whatever pressures I'm sure are coming from all of these individual schools, like, say, a Northwestern or something who wants to get a big game. It's, again, you're playing an ACC team, but Northwestern goes up against Pitt. 
I mean, I mean, that's kind of like where that should be with where those teams are right now. Uh, Michigan's facing off against Virginia Tech. Penn State's going up against Clemson. Um, Boston College against Nebraska. Those kind of games. That's what I think really can hang up a lot of this stuff. Everyone wants a little piece of the pie. For whatever reason, the ACC and the Big Ten have been able to at least hold their schools at bay to some degree and allow this to give us the best possible scenarios. Only one mistake I would have corrected or one thing I think should be a little bit different when I looked up and down. How about having Wisconsin play Miami? Because right now it's Wisconsin hosting Wake Forest. Miami's hosting Rutgers. Home games for both those teams. And I'm sure there's some sort of thing in the agreement where they all have to have the same amount of games at home. But I would just, if I was looking up and down, I was thinking, dang, they get it right every year. That's the only thing I would change is having those two kind of bigger name schools come together and face off against each other. Two schools with at least recent tournament success, too. So I think that's the only thing I would change. Just the full list again. We mentioned a lot of them already. Only ones I think I haven't brought up. Purdue at Florida State. Georgia Tech at Iowa. Maryland at Louisville. Those are the only three games I'm pretty sure that I had not mentioned on that schedule. So it's, again, a full slate that's going to be taking place over two days, November 29th and 30th. So, of course, still a long way to go. But it's one of the more exciting kind of meaningless off-season news pieces we can get out there, if you ask me. Moving on to other news, recruiting update from over the weekend. The latest commits to Big Ten schools. Just going straight down the list. Derek Rogers, three-star wide receiver, has committed to Maryland. Ethan Fields, a three-star offensive lineman, is headed to Purdue. Dylan Wade, three-star tight end, is going to Maryland. Ryan Shackelford, the best name out there. That's Ryan, R-Y-N-E, not Ryan, R-Y-A-N. Ryan Shackelford's a three-star wide receiver headed to Purdue. Terraman Lott, a three-star listed as athlete, going to Illinois. Amari Farrell is a three-star safety headed to Indiana. Jamel Howard is a three-star defensive lineman going to Wisconsin. And rounding things out, big get over the weekend for Iowa. Out of Indianapolis, they get four-star offensive lineman Trevor Lauk. So a big weekend, of course, as always, in Big Ten recruiting during these months. We're going to get John Garcia back in here soon to talk more recruiting. But to be quite honest, he's available to all the locked-on hosts. And as things start heating up, a whole lot more people have really wanted to get active and getting him on their shows, too. So the schedule's been a little bit tight for him. We'll get him back on here soon. I don't know if it'll be this week or not. But if not, again, we'll talk more recruiting with John here as this offseason really, really gets into full gear. Uh, again, we have time for that sometime, hopefully later, if not this week, the next. Until next time here on Locked On Big Ten, thank you as always for joining the show to chat with us here just a minute on Locked On. We appreciate you making us your first listen every single weekday. Again, we'll be back here at least three times a week here during the offseason. I'll be getting episodes up as hopefully often as I can, as close to every day as we can. And again, we'll talk to you either tomorrow or Wednesday at the latest here on the show. I believe we'll have something to talk about here.